Well, good morning, citizens. Oh, boy. Come on now. Everybody's had at least one cup of coffee, right? Good morning, citizens. Good morning. Awesome. Good. Hey, it's so good to be with you again. Uh, if you weren't here last time I was here, my name is Brad Wright. Last time I was here, uh, there was a lot of things that were going to be about to change in our lives. And in the last few months since I've been here, most of those things have changed. Uh, it's been a pretty wild ride for us. Um, we, my wife uh, before had gotten her master's in December in, as a nurse educator. In the meantime, she interviewed and finally she's going to start teaching at Forsyth Tech as a nurse educator. Um, I was interviewing at the time for a position. I accepted a position uh, June 1st uh, for Triad Church Network. And so if you don't know what that is, you're part of it. And so uh, we'll explain what that looks like uh, at another time. But there's been a ton of changes. We, we took our kids to see the Grand Canyon. Uh, that was a phenomenal trip and worth every penny of it. I say every penny. It was worth most of the pennies uh, that it cost us to go. And then um, last month, my wife and I, are, it's July now, isn't it? Good night. All right. So in May, my wife and I took our 20th anniversary trip to Alaska. Now, our 20th anniversary was three years ago. But for some reason, I can't remember why, in the summer of 2020, there wasn't a whole lot of trips going on. We won't talk about any of that for now. But have you ever been on a cruise? Cruises can be phenomenal. They can be fantastic and very relaxing and all the things that you want a vacation to be. Uh, did anybody see the video of the Carnival Cruise? Uh, I think it's called the Sunshine uh, in May. Uh, this is a ship that ended up getting stuck in a storm. And the second deck of the ship was, had water in the hallway. Uh, and you just go, it's good for a boat to be in the water. It ain't good for water to be in the boat, right? That's, that's not how that's supposed to go. And so we got back from our trip, talking about our cruise with our community group, and this guy, Scott goes, yeah, we were on that boat. And I was like, oh, what was that like? He said, well, here's the deal. The captain gets on, just like you would expect uh, an airline pilot gets on. You know, ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to... He said, just as calm as anything else goes, hey, we're expecting some rough seas, um, you may not be, and so in the process of him announcing this, they're draining the pools, so the pool water doesn't go, you know. He said at the worst of it, they ran out of water in their room, and their room was in the front, and the place that was open to get water was in the back. He said, it's one long hallway, and he said at the worst of it, he had to go get water, and he said it was like mountain climbing going up because the ship was pointed this way, and then they'd hit the back side of the wave, and he said it was like running going down, and then they'd go back up. And he mountain climbed. Go back down. And he, and I was just sitting there going, I would be puking my guts up. I just, I would lose every bit of lunch. The buffet would mean nothing to me. Any of that sort of stuff. And when you get off of a ship like that, what do you normally see people do? Kiss the ground and vow, I will never do that again, right? We love having a firm foundation under our feet, amen? But we love when things are stable. We love when things are dependable and it really shakes us and it really causes us all kinds of issues when something that's supposed to be stable all of a sudden isn't anymore and beloved I just want to share with you this morning there are a lot of people going through life who thought that the things they were building their life on would cause stability and instead it's been the opposite for them it has caused them all kinds of instability it's caused them to be what James kind of describes it this way Somebody who's blown about by every wave that comes along, every idea, every notion, every uh, desire of this world, whatever, 
drives them along, drives their passions, and they're just kind of ever, and there's no stability in their lives. So we're in Psalm 125. Y'all have been walking through Psalm of Ascents this summer. Adam asked me to continue that, and so I plan to do that this morning. If you want me to do something else, sorry, I'm not going to do it. Uh, we're in Psalm 125, so I encourage you to turn there. Um, these are more than just short poems. Uh, if you've ever done read through the Bible in a year, you know that uh, sometimes these psalms get kind of clumped together with other things because they're just five verses, six verses, eight verses, really short, and they get sometimes overlooked. But I think Psalm 125 has a lot to say to us. These are also the songs that were meant to be sung as the Jewish people were headed up to Jerusalem to go to worship. So they were meant to not only be memorable, uh, even in Hebrew they don't rhyme, just so you know, they're, they're not that kind of song, but they're meant to be memorable enough that as somebody is walking, they would sing this song in a particular place with a particular view, with a particular idea in mind, something's going on in the world, and this song would relate to what's happening there, but they were also meant to teach their children. They took very much seriously the idea, hey, Talk about these things when you lie down, when you get up, when you're walking, when you're with your kids. Talk about these things. And one of the ways they would do that is they would sing these things. And so that's what these psalms are meant to do. So if you've typed to, turn to uh, Psalm 125. I know you just sat down, but if you don't mind, if you'd, uh, my, my preference is we stand in honor of reading God's word together. So if you'd stand with me, please. This is my reminder that these are his words and not mine. Psalm 125. And it says under the title, if your uh, Bible has these in it, <coughs> excuse me, says a song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever, forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for what we've already sung. We've sung our faith. We're reminded of what you have done for us, what we couldn't do on our own. We can't beat the grave on our own. Scientists have been trying. Medical people have been trying. Uh, inventors have been trying. We can't beat death on our own, but you did. You conquered the grave on our behalf. And, and, and man has tried for generations since Adam and Eve to try to overcome our sin, and you conquered that as well. So, Father, all these things that we couldn't do on our own, you've done on our behalf, and so I thank you that we sing those things together. Help us as we dive into this psalm to be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us, but also, Father, to be reminded when things around us seem to be moving on a regular basis, when it seems to be uncertain ground, that you surround us, and Father, you ultimately are the solid ground on which we stand. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much. You can have a seat. <clears throat> We're only going to walk through five verses today, as I read just a moment ago, and I hope you'll approach these five verses the same way that we ought to approach every Bible text. And so let me explain to you what I mean by that. Look, look at verse 1 with me. Those who trust in the Lord. The psalmist very much starts with who the audience is. And see, here's what I'm afraid happens. It doesn't happen to everybody, and it doesn't happen all the time. But it happens sometimes, and it happens to some people. 
Sometimes you share a verse, maybe you share it on social media, and please, let's inundate social media with Bible verses. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, it will accomplish what you send it out to, what God is sending out to do. God's Word is active. Let's inundate social media with God's Word. But sometimes somebody will read a verse and go, oh, well, that, that's God talking to me. Now, listen, God talks to His Word, talks to His Word. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. But here's what I want to say. There are some Bible verses that are for believers, and there are some Bible verses that are for unbelievers. The audience matters. Unbelievers that want to be spiritual, which Bible verses do they tend to like? The ones that aren't for them. Uh, the, the promises that aren't necessarily for them. Uh, the, the, the blessings that aren't directed Toward them And Christians, if we're not careful, sometimes we'll do the same thing. There, there are many churches, there are many believers who have gone astray thinking that every promise in the Bible, every promise in the Old Testament was meant for every Christian. And that ain't what it is. Every, there's people that believe that every proverb is a promise from God. That's, that's not what the proverbs are. It says at the beginning, these are wise sayings. And so if we're not careful, sometimes... We'll read scripture or someone else will read scripture and just go, that's right, we're all God's children. And so because we're all God, he just loves everybody. And that means that everybody gets to go to heaven. And, and that's right, amen, I agree to that. And you look at their life and you just go, listen, that ain't the verse that I meant to post for you. <laughs> the verse you need to hear is you need to go back to John 3.16 and start believing in a Savior because you haven't even done that yet. And see, here's the problem for us as Christians. We'll go back and we'll read some of these things in the Old Testament, and it'll be a problem promised specifically for Israel in a specific time and a specific place, and we'll say, well, that's clearly, clearly for every believer that's ever, ever lived. And you just go, no, sometimes God's word is very specific to one group at one time, and what do we get out of that? What do we learn? We learn from that that God is an ultimate promise keeper. That every promise he's ever promised will come true if we will trust in the Lord. We'll become, look at the end of verse 1, we'll become like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. See, these worshipers are headed up to the temple, and they're surrounded by mountains. If you've ever had the opportunity to go to Israel to see Jerusalem, you'll notice that there are mountains all the way around. Now, they're not like the Rockies, and they're not these massive things like, like we see here, but they're still mountains. It's still very rugged terrain. It's still very dry terrain, and so you see the Temple Mount. Actually, I think we've got a picture of the Temple Mount somewhere. There you go. Uh, so it sits up on a mountain, and so as they are going, they are seeing Mount Zion. Now, if you've never done a word study of Mount Zion, you have to. You need to. It's an incredibly important geographical place in the Bible. It's not always called Mount Zion. Uh, it starts out being called Mount Moriah, and it shows up when Abraham is willing to sacrifice Isaac. It's where uh, Jacob gets wrestled. It's, it's an important place in the history and the life of the Jewish people. But at the time that this is being written, Mount Zion isn't just that specific place where Solomon builds the temple. It's not just that. It, they, they call the entire region around Jerusalem Mount Zion. And so this pilgrimage that people would make on a regular basis 
was dangerous. There were, like I said, there were mountain roads. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But here's what, his, here's what I was reminded of. Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 3.1. He has made everything in his time. Also, he has put eternity in a man's heart, yet so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. See, here's what Solomon figured out 2,500 years ago, and we're still trying to figure out. Stephen Hawking spent his life trying to figure this out. What is eternity really like? See, a human brain, we, we have this idea that there's something greater, longer, more before us, after us, that there's, it's planted in our hearts that there's something eternal. We just can't quite get our brains wrapped around it. We, we use those phrases every now and then like, boy, this is taken forever. This sermon lasts an eternity. You ever thought that before? You're welcome to think it now. It's fine. We're in church. You can confess. It's fine. Uh, we use those phrases and those things, uh, kids especially, right? If anything takes longer than about five minutes for a kid, it's forever, right? It just seems that way to a lot of people in a lot of different specific situations. So what do we have to do? We have to relate eternity to something that we can understand. What are the things that were here before us and the things that we're pretty sure are going to be here after us? The mountains, the sea, the sun, the tides, uh, the trees, all the things that are part of God's creation. It's one of the ways that those things reflect God's handiwork and his creativity is that they show us, hey, when uh, my favorite story of playing golf uh, I'm a terrible golfer, by the way. Please don't ask me to go play golf because you will see a, just a terrible temper uh, on the golf course. I just, I'm, I should not ever own clubs, but I do. Anyway, but my favorite is a young guy goes to play golf and they pair him up with an older gentleman that, like they do at a golf course on a regular basis. And the two of them start playing golf. About the fourth hole, this guy hits his ball. The young guy hits his ball behind this tree. And this tree is probably 40, 50 feet tall. And the older guy, of course, if you've ever played with somebody who knows what they're doing, he hits it like 175 right down the middle every time, and all of us that are stink at golf are nauseated at that. But he, and he looks at the younger guy behind the tree, and he goes, you know, when I was your age, I would have just hit it over that tree. And the young guy's like, all right, well, I'm not going to be outdone by this guy. So what does he do? He gets up there, hits the ball, sure enough, hits the tree, knocks him 40 yards backwards. By the time he actually gets up to the green, the old guy's already putted out. He's just waiting on him. He goes, hey, I thought you said at my age you hit it over that tree. How'd you do that? He said, well, at my age, son, that tree was six feet tall. <laughs> we get this picture in our minds. We've got to get a picture in our minds of what eternity looks like because the psalmist talks about it. Jesus talks about it. That This life, as much as we enjoy it, is not all that there is. And if we pursue the things that are in this life, those who trust in riches, there are other psalms that talk about that. There are Proverbs that talk about that. Those who trust in chariots, horses, those who trust in nations, those who trust in other things are not going to have a firm foundation. Who does? The Lord. The, those who trust in the Lord. Why? They're like Mount Zion. It can't be moved. It abides forever. Look at verse 2. As a mountain surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. What a beautiful picture for us. Uh, I don't know if you know who Tim Hawkins is. He's a Christian comedian. He's been around for a long time. He's, he's one of my favorites. Uh, him and Michael Jr., if you don't know who Michael Jr. is, YouTube Tim Hawkins and Michael Jr. later. You'll be blessed, I promise. But Tim Hawkins has a whole thing about somebody praying a hedge of protection 
around you. Have you ever heard that? It's hilarious. Because you just go, when we think of a hedge, what do we think of? A hedge. Like, so the enemy comes up and sees a hedge. And you're like, you can't, the enemy can't get through a hedge and all that. If you've ever seen the verses about a hedge of protection, this takes that and takes it up to a place. And he says, listen, whatever else you think right now you're surrounded by, the Lord surrounds his people. How does God do that? First and foremost, the Lord does it with his own presence. If you're taking notes, write this down. The Lord surrounds me with his presence. It's him. Sometimes the Lord takes his word. And, and I need to be in his word and studying his word. I need to know what applies to me in different situations. So I'm going to surround myself with his word. Maybe for you, you've made a commitment. I know a lot of people have done this. you made a commitment. I'm only going to surround myself with Christian music. I'm only going to listen to things that are edifying, that are going to build me up, that are going to strengthen my relationship. I'm going to surround myself with that. What you're doing today in this place is surrounding yourself with people of God. The, the Holy Spirit is in every believer who's in Jesus Christ. And so when we get together, we ought to feel like we're surrounded by the Lord. And, and the idea, the picture there is not surrounded like an enemy we surround. The idea there is surrounded like arms surrounded around a person. And so I, I, I hope you feel that today. I hope you understand that. I hope you, this is July 4th weekend. We have a lot of freedoms in our country. Uh, we can talk about some other time politics and what freedoms are being shifted and moved and taken away and, and all those sorts of things. But folks, we're gathered freely in a place with a Bible in a language that we can understand. And none of us is afraid that somebody's going to bust in the door and take all of us to jail. And, and, and right now, around the world, there's more persecution against Christians than there has ever been cumulatively in human history. It's happening in places like Sudan. It's happening in places like China and North Korea. It's happening in places that sometimes you hear about and sometimes you don't hear about. And so for you and I, you know, we could do the fireworks thing. My, my wife's a 4th of July baby. That's her birthday. It's July 4th. We love the fireworks and all that sort of stuff in our house. But folks, if we don't appreciate the religious freedom that we've got, we don't appreciate the idea that we can sit here today and be surrounded by believers practice our religion openly and freely, then we need to be reminded of what a privilege that actually is. We're going to talk more in just a moment. Uh, look at the verse 3. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to set something up, and then he's going to do two contrasts to end the verse. Here we go. Look at verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness. Now, listen. He just went from being really encouraging. The people who trust in the Lord are like a mountain. They can't be moved. God surround his people. We're going to be really encouraging. And then right in the middle, he throws in this verse, and you go, I'm sorry, what? That's a little odd. Let's see what he says. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Why would you go from one thing to the other? Well, he's not actually switching. If you study Hebrew poetry at all, you'll notice that it does a couple things. Uh, it's almost like a, an arrow. So it's like verse 1, verse 2, get to verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. We're going to come back. Okay? Does that make sense? So here's what he's saying. God, if we trust in you, then we'll not be shaken. We'll not be moved. We'll be firmly planted like a mountain because you love your people. You surround them. But sometimes there are those who are in authority 
who have a scepter of wickedness. The scepter was the signal of the king's position, authority, power, his strength. And so he says every now and then somebody gets into authority that wants to abuse that power, wants to be, and if they're in authority long enough, then what's going to happen is even the righteous people are going to start to do evil things. Because what have they seen? Authority for a long period of time abused. And so then we would be tempted to do the exact same thing. And so what he's saying is it's actually a prayer. God, don't let whoever's in power who's evil be there for long. Instead, remove them. Now, you're going to say, Brad, well, when is this written? What king is he talking about? All that sort of thing. We don't actually know when exactly this psalm was written. Uh, And it doesn't say it's a psalm of David. It doesn't say it's a psalm of Solomon. And so we're not 100% sure who the psalmist was when he wrote it. But here's what we do know. If you need to find a king in Israel that was uh, evil at the time, just start reading through 1st and 2nd Kings. First, second Chronicles. And it's like, here's so-and-so. He was a good king. His son followed after him. He was bad. And then his son followed after him, and he did more bad than his dad did. And then, then it's almost like it becomes an evil competition. How evil can I become? How can I outdo whoever went before me and held the throne? And the psalmist is saying, God, we're asking you, don't let anybody be in power long enough to do evil for a long period of time. Not because it's bad for the land. Not because it hurts the economy. Does it say anything about the economy in these verses? No, what does it say? So that righteous people won't follow in the steps of weakness. God, protect us in a way that righteous people are still able to be righteous, to do good things. And then he makes a prayer out of it. Look at verse 4. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. And to those who are upright in their hearts. Now, in English there, we've got a comma and a, and a conjunction, and. Really, there probably shouldn't be a comma and an and. What it really should be is, God, do good to those who are good and their hearts are upright. Does that make sense? It should be, it's one group of people. It's not just that there are people who do good. There are a lot of people in this world who do good things on a regular basis. Is do good to those who are upright in their hearts, and out of that, do good things. And really, the do good is show favor. God, just show favor to those who are favorable. That's really the literal idea of what the psalmist is saying here. He's, and so I wonder sometimes when we pray for people. I know last time I was here, I did a message about prayer. But I wonder if sometimes when we pray for people, if we don't sometimes need to just get that simple with it, God, you're good. This person is trying to follow you. Their heart is trying to follow you. God, would you just do something good in their life? Has anybody seen these bumper stickers? There's these bumper stickers that I've just started noticing on a regular basis now. It says, um, I hope something good happens to you today. Have you seen those? It's maybe some of you have. I don't know if it's a campaign or somebody's trying to, you know, I don't know what it is. Please, if it's promoting something bad, then please just ignore that I said this. But, but I wonder sometimes if our prayers shouldn't just be boiled down sometimes to God. Here's a person who's upright. Could, could you just be favorable to them in this situation? Could you show them some? Maybe it's your spouse. God, right now, if you could just show favor to them in this situation. God, they need something good to happen in their lives. They've been struggling. They've been suffering. They've been... Uh, going to the doctor on a regular basis, they've been whatever financially. God, they just need a break. 
God, would you just show them your favor? Why do we need that every now and then? Can you imagine being a child and all you ever hear from your parent is judgment? Can you imagine if you're a kid in a classroom and all you ever see from the teacher is red marks? Sorry, when I was going to school, you got red marks on a paper when you did something. I don't know if that's still the case or not. Can you imagine if all you heard, all you thought about, all you experienced of this life was negative, suffering, pain, hardship? And sometimes I think God comes along right beside us and says, listen, you're my child. I've, been, I've given you grace. You're under my mercy. I'm going to show you something good. I'm going to show you my favor. I'm going to put something in front of you that you didn't plan for, that you didn't pray for, but somebody else has been praying for this thing for you. Look at verse 5, because here's what, here's what can happen. That's what I told you. We're coming back under that idea of verse 3. If not, then here's what can happen. For those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. So what can happen? Even righteous people, if they're on a path that is crooked, will get led away with those who are unrighteous. It's one of those situations. If you've ever hiked and you've ever seen the path in front of you, then what do you do? You walk with a lot of confidence, unless you're like me and you're out of breath. Um, you walk with a lot of confidence in that direction. Why? Because you can see clearly what's ahead. You can see the path. You can see what's on either side. You can see a destination at the end. You can see the rocks in the way. You can see everything in front of you. What do you do with a crooked path? Some of you might have grown up on country roads. Have you ever been on country roads with somebody who knows them really well and doesn't mind doing 60, 70 miles an hour down a country road and you're terrified in the seat next to you? I'm thinking of my buddy Jim right now. Why? Because you and I, inexperience on those things, don't know what's around the next corner. And what's around the next corner is danger. And what, what the writer, what the psalmist is saying is, listen, if you start turning aside to crooked ways, if, if you're under this type of leadership for long enough, you're going to turn away, and, and listen, you're going to end up being in the consequences of those who have done evil. Uh, your goodness doesn't count anymore. You, what God's done in you is the only thing that would save you, but you're going to be led away with those folks who are doing evil. And he says, listen, God, save us from that. God, don't let us go down that path. I love, I read this week, uh, a commentator, Clark, he said this. He's talking about those who are not faithful, who give way to sin, who backslide, who, who walk in a crooked way, that they're widely different from the straight way of the upright, the yesharim, that's the uh, Hebrew term for it, the straight in heart. They'll be led forth to punishment and the com- with the common workers of iniquity. It's very similar to what Paul says. Be careful how you walk and with whom you walk. That's, that's what the boiling, boiling it all down is. These are, this is people who are walking. They're on their way to Jerusalem. Be careful how you walk, where you step, which path you're on, which path you ignore, which path you, you point out to your kids and go, hey, Jerusalem's this way. Don't go that way. Parents, <laughs> what a powerful reminder, right? Hey, the kingdom of God is this way. Don't go that way. Hey, I went down that path one time. and About halfway down, I realized where I needed to stop, turn around, and get back to the right path. It's exactly the picture of what repentance is. So be careful how you walk, but then be careful with whom you walk. Who are you listening to? Who are you 
watching? Who is in your party? See, there were dangers on the road back then. There were animals, wild animals, obviously. There was the, the path itself sometimes was treacherous. But more often than not, there would be somebody who somewhere along the path would just come alongside and join your party. And in the middle of the night, that would be the person that would end up beating up the strongest person in your group and robbing the group and taking off in the middle of the night. It happened over and over and over again. And the psalmist says, listen, be careful who you walk with on a regular basis because the people that are around you are going to influence where you go and how you step and whether or not you're ultimately going to get to the destination you're trying to get to. Now, I told you at the very beginning that we need to be very careful how we read these things. I hope what I've given you so far has been, has been encouraging, maybe been just a little bit challenging, maybe been at, least, at the very least thought-provoking. But can you do me a favor and let's go back to verse 1 real quick? Because what I said before is absolutely true. And this is the trap that I fell into this week. I read this psalm for me. I read this psalm and said, God, what, what does this psalm say about me? Don't get me wrong. It absolutely says a few things about me. I've already pointed those out to you. Go back and look at verse 1 real quick. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As a mountain surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people for them in this time and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Who is doing all the action in this psalm? The Lord. This psalm's not about me. This psalm's about him. God, I can do everything that I want to try to do to build a solid life, but if it's not built on you, it's like the path at the edge that just crumbles away and falls. Uh, Lord, as much as I would love to surround other people, as much as I'd love to protect my family, as much as I'd love to do all of these things and be all of these things to other people, Lord, honestly, you're the only one who can surround you're the only one that can fulfill. You're the only one that can do all the things that you've promised in your word. Who is it then that we ask for good from? Ultimately, we ask for good from him. He's the one who does good. What did Jesus say? Jesus took these words and he flipped it and made it really difficult. I mean, don't, don't bypass that. Jesus said at one point, why do you call me good? There is nobody good except the Father. God, as much as I want to do good in this world, the only good I'm going to do is what you've called me and asked me to do. The only good I'm going to do is fulfilling your mission, your purpose, your plan in this world. That's the only good that I'm going to ever be able to do in this world. God, it's got to be about you. And then what do I do about those who are in authority and what do I do about evildoers? Unfortunately, according to this psalm, there ain't a whole lot that's my responsibility to do. Now, Paul adds that everybody in authority, we ought to pray for. As believers in Christ, we pray for everybody who's in authority for us, uh, above us, because authority flows from God. But according to this psalm, what does he say? He says the Lord's going to take care of it. God, it's not my job to do evil to overthrow evil authority. It's not my job to do wrong 
God, you're the one. Look at verse, the end of verse 5. The Lord will lead away with evildoers. God, as much as I want to be responsible for cleaning up the world, uh, my uncle and I have this joke. Anytime we talk, about, talk on the phone, we have this joke. When they make me king, here's what I would do. And the Lord just says, listen, I'll handle the evildoers. And you and I as believers in Christ and the people of this time, listen, this land of Israel gets conquered over and over for 3,000 years. They've been fighting over this patch of dirt, Mount Zion. Mount Zion right now, if you don't uh, know and understand the geopolitical scene that's going on right now, it is divided as it, as it has ever been in the history of the world. There are two temples there right now. Uh, one is a mosque. One is a, a, just a tiniest possible Jewish synagogue. It is uh, an unbelievably contested place in the world. If you go to the wall, you, you get an ch- opportunity and a chance to literally stand at the wall, and it is, it's one of those places that you go, this is literally exactly where Jesus would have stood. It's a powerful moment and a situation, but in that place, the four major religions of the world are just beating the snot out of each other. Judaism, Catholicism, Islam, and Christianity. We're, we're just, there's just constant battle over that area and over that time. So what's the last phrase that he puts in this verse, in this psalm? Peace be to Israel. <laughs> and you just go, wow, how? You, you realize that for, since really uh, the 1940s, Every president since the 1940s has tried. Every world leader who has tried to bring peace to that region has failed miserably. You realize that the conditions that are going on over there, until something massive happens, it's not going to change. And so despite all of that, the psalmist still says, peace to Israel. How does that happen? Well, peace only happens when the Prince of Peace guards your hearts and minds, and he is Christ Jesus. The only answer to peace in that area is the good news of Jesus. Now, here's what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's not the only war-torn area of the world. For some of you, it's your workplace. You're, you're excited about this week because it's a week of maybe so-and-so's on vacation. You're excited about this week because maybe you're on vacation <laughs> and you don't have to deal with a war zone that is work. For some of you, the war zone was this morning before you got to church. For some people that walk around us on a day-in and day-out basis, the war zone is here and here. 24-7, all the time. And there's only one answer to it. And that's the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, Messiah Jesus, who came to bring peace. And so we're commanded in the Scriptures to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so we need to do that. We're going to do that in just a moment. But folks, I, I don't know who you know that's close to you but far from God that needs to experience peace. 
Everything that they've tried to build their life on is crumbling under them right now. Or if it's not, you see where it's about to. You can see the cracks. They can't. And for some people, they just kind of wander and meander through life. For other people, they are hard-charging, self-driven, self-motivated, and they are just trying to go as fast as they possibly can to get to a destination. And either way, they're building a house on sinking sand. And neither one is experiencing any kind of peace. So it's on us as believers in Jesus Christ to hit our knees for those folks and to say, God, I can't do it. That's not my job. My job is to be a gospel witness in their life, to share Christ whenever you give me opportunities, but more than anything, to pray for them, to lift them before the throne, to to boldly approach the throne of grace, to find help in a time of need. 